Welcome to the Addy Hour, where we talk brain science, mental health, faith, culture, and social justice. Having attended one of Dr. Addy's town halls, I can tell you that it's vital information for anyone living in America right now. It was the first time in a very, very long time where I felt like all of me could show up, each parts of my identity. I'm your host, Dr. Nee Addy. My friend, Dr. Nee Addy, is such a unique person who is both scientifically astute, understands the human soul and the mind. At the same time, he has compassion and empathy for the masses. He's been nothing but a blessing to my congregations and my friends. It was the first time I felt like it was safe to talk about issues that are usually not talked about, like mental health and faith and wrestling with your identity. By the end, I walked out feeling so much more validated and hopeful. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Addy Hour. I'm honored to be able to continue hosting these conversations and glad that you all are here for episode 30 of this podcast. It's hard for me to believe that we're already on episode 30. We've had so many guests, great guests come through, and that's definitely the case today as well. Um, I was saying before we jumped on that these are my heroes in some sense. So I'm going to try and hold back that I have a lot of excitement at just the opportunity to have both of these individuals on the podcast today. And we're going to be talking about faith community and mental health partnerships. So it's my absolute pleasure to be able to welcome Dr. Ayana Jordan and Dr. Sydney Hankerson to the Addy Hour podcast. Thanks so much to both of you for being here. Happy to be here. When you call, we answer. We're here for you. Oh, my goodness. I appreciate that. Well, like I said, these are my heroes in some sense. So I got to go ahead and give them a little bit of introduction to introduce you all as listeners to just the great pioneering work that they've done. I'm going to go ahead and start with uh, Dr. Jordan. Dr. Ayanna Jordan is an addiction psychiatrist and the Barbara Wilson Associate Professor in, of psychiatry in the Department of Psychiatry at the NYU Grossman School of Medicine. She is also the pillar lead for the community engagement in the NYU Langhorne Institute of Excellence in Health Equity. Dr. Jordan is someone who is dedicated to creating spaces and opportunities for more people of color, specifically Black women in academia, who are vastly underrepresented. Dr. Jordan is someone who has a lot of accolades and has been involved in a lot of different pioneering things over the years. I'm just gonna highlight a few of them. One to mention that she was the first black associate uh, program director for the Yale University of Psychiatry residency program when she was on faculty at Yale for quite a while. She recently also became the director of equity, diversity and inclusion for the Justice Community Opioid Innovation Network. She also serves as the medical director for the recognizing and eliminating disparities of an addiction through culturally informed healthcare or reach. These are funded programs that she has garnered. So that's something that we don't take for granted at all. She's also an NIH funded researcher where she studies the long-term outcomes for, for providing addiction treatment in phase settings, something that we're going to dig into today as well. And just to wrap up and say, she's someone who's deeply grateful to be taking care of the most historically excluded patients during this time who are facing extreme challenges in obtaining addiction treatment, even as we continue to walk through the pandemic. So someone who, again, is a pioneer, and I'm just honored to be able to welcome her to the program and to introduce you all as listeners to the wonderful, talented, inspiring, and wise Dr. Ayanna Jordan. Hey, me, listen, have me back anytime. I'm like, that was an amazing intro. 
intro. <laughs> I just want to walk away now. But thank yeah. you. Thank you. <laughs> I'll say, brother, so much love. Thank mm. you. Thank yeah. you. Definitely appreciate you. To also introduce Dr. Cindy Hankerson, Dr. Hankerson is the Director of Mental Health Equity Research at Mount Sinai and the Institute for Health Equity Research. He has someone who has also garnered many different grants. He's been awarded grants from the National Institute of Mental Health, the Brain and Behavior Foundation, and the New York State Office of Mental Health. He was formerly at Columbia University, had funding through there as well, and has also been involved in many funding sources from private foundations. He's someone who's presented in lots of different venues, including the White House, including the United Nations at the National Institute of Mental Health, also the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, also at Gracie Mansion, also known as the New York City Mayor's Office, um, has just been involved in the community in so many different ways over the years. He was also an inaugural member of the American Psychiatric Association's Council of Faith and Community Partnership and has served on the APA Council of Minority Mental Health Disparities. He's someone who is just deeply invested in the community and also in integrating aspects of mental health services in faith communities as well. And something that I know, again, that's going to be a, just an important part of today's conversation. So again, my apologies for just being so overly enthusiastic, but these are people who <laughs> have just been pioneers in the field for so many different, um, in so many ways over the years. And especially as black uh, physicians, I just have to highlight the excellence with which they're doing the work and the role models that they are as well. So again, you can tell I'm excited, but I just had to be able to, to give credit where credit is due and grateful for both of them, to both of them for being here um, in this moment. So thanks again. For no, thank you, Nee. Thank you for the, for the opportunity and the space. Of course. Well, as my listeners know, I think it's always important for us just to be able to check in with each other and see how we all are doing. So even as you all have done so many important things that we celebrate, we also do know that the work that you do is critically important. And we know that there's a backdrop of just challenges that we've been facing in the society. We're recording this at the end of May. We've uh, you know, continued to experience so many different shootings across this country in Buffalo, in California, um, in Texas, at a, at an elementary school. And we know that there are other things that have been going on that aren't even highlighted in the media. And so we do take time to pause, you know, to be able to mourn, to be able to reflect, and then also to call ourselves to action. Um, but just in the context of all of that, I just wanted to check in with both of you and just see how you all are doing at this point in time, especially with the work that you're already doing within mental health and thinking about how we're processing this as a society. Um, so Ayana, if we could start with you, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, I, I appreciate you really centering um, all that has happened just in the past couple of weeks and really being very um, deliberate and checking in because in so many of the spaces that I have uh, been in, I have been the one checking in mm -hmm. with others because many people just want to go on with business as usual. And I'm like, pause, literally, like pump the brakes there is so much trauma right now. And I have never, ever think God really, I'm very grateful as by the grace of God, I've never had a, you know, serious mental illness that I've had to really deal with, but I can tell you psychologically, it has been very difficult for me to do my work because I am constantly thinking about safety what places are safe, um, 
you know, as a woman, as a black woman, oftentimes I think about safety in terms of where do I park my car? Where do I work? Where do I live? But extending that now to babies, my nieces and my nephew, um, worshiping, like what place is sacred, right? And so in a way that I didn't really understand why it impacted me so much until I went to my own <laughs> therapist. I think I've been therapy every Tuesday at 11. I'm very clear about that mm-hmm. because I realized that there's just not a sense of safety, right? And so I have to grapple with that reality. And um, it's just been really difficult. And so I really appreciate you checking in. And this to me was actually restorative because I said, I know that I'm going to be in a space amongst people that I trust to really talk through some of these key issues because none of us are... um, protected against feeling the very real pain of what is happening. And so even if we're not in it directly, this whole idea of vicarious trauma is very real. Um, And so I've just given myself grace. I've Mm -hmm. canceled meetings. I've said to my team, like, listen, take time. And if you're not okay, I need you to be well because we can't do the work of really trying to liberate black folks. <laughs> you know, that's the point of Jordan Wellness Collaborative and really trying to liberate people who have been totally desecrated and just ignored from society if you're not well. And um, yeah, I'm just mourning and I, you know, I checked in with all of my loved ones just to say I love you and just be very honest about the reality of where we are in this country. And so, yeah, it's been tough. It's been tough. And um, I appreciate you for checking in. Oh, of course. I think it's so important to, to have that space. And I mean, in many ways, you've, like you've said, you've, you're leading by example because you're taking that time for yourself and you're checking in with those around you. And I know just with all those who are looking up to you, I mean, I can speak from personal experience and seeing trainees look up to you, see you take that time to pause. And that, in a sense, gives them permission to also have that time to pause, to have grace. And so definitely appreciate the ways you continue to do that, even though it's not easy and the ways that you lead by example as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. About you? Yeah. I'll say for me, it's just been, it's been emotionally exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Buffalo shooting is, is especially poignant um, to our you know, conversation tonight, because so many of the people that were killed were leaders in their church, mm. a deacon, um, mothers, you know, mothers of their churches. Uh, it was devastating. Elderly black folks murdered in cold blood while shopping. Mm. So, I mean, it just really hit home for all of the church members and community members that we work with. It made me think about my parents. It made me think about just all of my mentors. Um, And I think to Ayana's point, um, I've had a range of emotions Mm -hmm. from rage to hatred Mm -hmm. toward this um, 18 year old who did this and then published this manifesto to just profound sadness to shock to, to, you know, you name it. And I think um, then Tuesday happens, 
right, in Texas. Um, and I think for me, I have never felt as worried for my kids as I did as I was reading those, um, the articles about the story. Um, I, I remember like literally walking out of my apartment. It was my, my wife was bringing our kids home from school and I was just feverishly trying to look for them. And I know that was just out of just the terror that something could happen to them. And so it's just made me feel tremendously vulnerable. Um, and also, you know, like Ayana, I, I, I see a therapist, um, I saw her today at nine. So Thursday at nine is my session. Um, and it's been amazing to process it with her um, and also try to give the folks in the community that we work with time to process that because it's uh, it's been exhausting. Yeah. yeah. So, so, uh, so true. And again, just appreciate your honesty because I think in the same way as a leader, others can see that, can hear that and that can validate those of all. And just, you know, the range of emotions that come. And as I often share with people, sometimes multiple emotions at once and just give me yourself time to walk through that and just to be honest about the challenges that it poses for all of us. Yeah. I don't know if there was another point you wanted. Yeah, I was just, I was listening to what Sydney was saying about in Buffalo, you know, so many of the victims being involved in their church, that being kind of a really an important role in their lives. And last Thursday, so the Thursday after the shooting on the 19th, I was at actually a community event for Kathy Carroll, who was one of my mentors who passed away suddenly. And we needed someone to pray, to bless, we're raising money for a Kathy Carroll Memorial Playground um, so that the babies have somewhere to play. And so we needed someone to bless the space. So I'm like, I know with all these people out here, we can find a praying somebody, a pastor, a deacon, somebody. So I'm walking around to um, elderly black folks. And one of the guys said, I'm a pastor. And I said, thank you, pastor. <laughs> can you, um, you know, bless the space? And before he opened it up for prayer. I felt like very compelled to obviously hold space for the victims of Buffalo. And he said to me, I am so happy that you did that mm. because my cousin was murdered. Oh, he was one of the victims. Wow. And I have just been going and going and dealing with the funeral plans and he's a pastor you know and he's like this is the first time that I've been able to like just take a breath and realize like this is really real and he got so emotional I got so emotional because here I am I was in Connecticut you know I I wasn't even thinking that like I would run into I was just holding space because I've somehow felt connected just for the trauma of being black and these people shopping. But then it became very real. Like th this is this man's cousin. You know what I mean? Like we are all interconnected. Mm -hmm. And so that was really heavy, man. You know what I mean? Like this is not um, something to do because it looks good or sounds good. Like a check-in is real, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and I find myself 
seeing that we as black people are often checking in. And it's like, do we do that because we're mental health professionals, we're trained, or do we do that because we understand that we need to see one another in a real way? And for me, I think it's the latter because I've been in many spaces where I, being the, uh, the Black person, has had to say, you know, and so I just think that speaks to a lot of what hope we get into today is our, our collective resilience, but also when is it going to be our turn for others to check in with us? Mm. Yeah. So well said. When will others check in on us? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to that question, have you, have either of you seen a shift in that at all? Does it still seem like people are not fully aware? Maybe it might not be the best way to say it, but just curious if you want to elaborate on, on your experience in that realm as well. Um, I mean, I, I think that um, it can be difficult for white people mm. to bring up issues they don't I, I think it's hard for them to initiate some of my white friends have said i don't i didn't know how to say i wanted to say something i didn't know how mm. um and then so there's that camp and then there's also some folks that are, are just kind of oblivious mm. and just as to ayana's point just kind of going on business as usual mm. so I, I think it i've seen kind of both extremes. And I do think it's critical that we do pause, but we also, and, and, you know, give space to our white colleagues to help them understand that they need to be the ones that initiate that instead of always being uh, black folks. Yeah. Yeah. I think Sydney's right on point because, um, so Mondays I have, um, lab meetings. I try not to call my lab a lab. It's the Jordan Wellness Collaborative, but for you all, I call it lab, but we're in a community. It's not a lab because of stigma. Y'all got it. Mm -hmm. But Mondays I have meetings with the team and this was right after the shooting, the Monday right after the shooting. And I was literally, like, I like was literally sobbing. I was literally sobbing because just before the meeting, I saw all the pictures of the victims. And like Sid said, I was, Sydney was saying, I was like, whoa, this could have been my mom, my uncle. Like I saw myself in so many of these young people, I mean, these people. But then I started to think about the young people because I read about an eight-year-old that hid in the um, cooler. <clears throat> so that she wouldn't get shot. Mm. That's the same age as my niece. Mm. Mm. And so it, I just began to sob a collective mourning because it's like, how much more can we take? You already shot up our churches, right. you know? Anywho, so I was sobbing and no, people didn't know what's going on. And I took a breath and I said, I'm going to we're not having this meeting. Clearly I'm not in a place to have this meeting, but I am going to have you all see the pictures because this is someone's mother. This is someone's aunt, brother, sister, et cetera. And a white woman that's a part of my team, she said, Ayana, thank you so much for doing this. 
because it didn't even hit me. She's like, I heard about it, but she's like, you know, I live in a suburb around predominantly white people. Like I read it and thought, oh, that's sad and kept moving. She said, but not until you showed the pictures, said their names. I said a little bit about them. Like one, you know, was a deacon in the church. Just just affirm their humanity. Does she understand? And she's like, I appreciate you doing this because that helped me to have more empathy and to pause. But see, it's the thing is like, why do we have to show you that we matter? In the way that these Latin brothers and sisters were killed in Texas, I didn't have to like, like I was still affected by that. I don't know them, right? But see, that's my humanity because I know what it is, right? But it's like, I just am so torn, Sydney, because Sydney's right. It's like, we have to give our white colleagues the space Mm -hmm. to get it but then i'm like but you should get it because these Mm -hmm. are people but then i understand that this is a collective of them not valuing our lives right right? that's the that's the message (laughs) yeah yeah and so important like you said to bring that level of humanity i mean i've also i mean i've just seen unfortunately because of how things have been going the last few years people have even talking about the opportunities for us to unite as people, but different, even different communities of color. Mm-hmm. So as we had, you know, Rabbi Bukdal on mm-hmm. the podcast, a couple or the last episode talking about the hostage situation that she helped navigate mm-hmm. a synagogue in Texas and all the things that she could relate to on that front. And then also the people of color in her Jewish communities who are also sharing about their experiences, you know, from mixed families, blacks who are also Jewish and the things that they have felt, which we can relate to as well. Or when Juju Chang was talking about all the anti-Asian hate and how people had checked in with her, but she hadn't necessarily thought about checking in with her African-American colleagues, same type of thing. But then there was so much that she could relate to. So even in those circles, but again, it's like you're saying, even in those communities, people can relate to the experience and they're having an easier time, I think, seeing a joint humanity. But then when we, you know, when we're talking about many of our white brothers and sisters, it's a different type of engagement. So I like you mentioned, it's necessary, but it's also challenging because you don't want to be the one to have to bring that all the time. And so I think, you know, it's just something that's important to be able to, to hold that space. And again, just the way that you have done that by example and being able to pull people in, but then that can, and that can be exhausting in and of itself. So it's, it, it is. <laughs> let me tell you something. I tell my mentees this, and it's something that like, you know, sometimes it's like, you got to practice what you preach and I haven't done that, but I've honestly learned from Sydney and I will shout him out because one time I was, I don't know something. And he's like, I am not available. Duh, duh, duh. I am my kids or, and I was like, listen, like that to me was so gangster because I'm like, yes, he is protecting mm-hmm. him access to him. And then I had to learn why, why am I not doing that? Because for me, it's like, oh no, I'm socialized to, for people always to have access to me, do this, do not. But it's like, no, you can protect your space. So anyway, I tell my mentees, and I don't know where this came from, but rest, resist, repeat, Mm. rest, resist, repeat. And I am at my resting. So on Monday, I was like, I am out. Don't call me. Don't text me. Don't email me. Cause I, I, 
it, it's not getting. So I'm at a point where like even this weekend, like I love my family, you know, Black people, we love our families for the most part. But I was like, y'all can't stress me. I was supposed to have the whole gang here for um, the long holiday weekend. And I was feeling just so emotionally exhausted from everything that we're talking about. And I was like, I love y'all, but Aunt Ayana, the Connecticut home is not happening. (laughs) You know, because I'm in a space of rest. And I'm realizing that I have to do that to protect my peace for all the Addy listeners in the podcast, you guys are getting the, what's it called? Exclusive. Cause I'm talking to the um, Yale residents for graduation. And I was thinking about what am I going to say to them to try and inspire them during this time. And the message that kept coming to me was protect your peace. Mm -hmm. So that's, I'm in a state of rest and I will resist because I really do think that my identity in itself is an act of political warfare. So I have to resist, but right now I'm in a period of rest. Mm -hmm. And Sydney showed me how to do that and model. And so I think that's important in terms of the collective community. Mm -hmm. You don't even realize sometimes you're just moving. How do you move in a way and you don't know that you have people looking at you? Yeah. So it's like, absolutely. And so I'm so grateful. So then me, you say, Ayana, can you do the podcast? Yes. Now, I don't know when I'm going to do it, but you know, we're here. I'm going to mm-hmm. do it because I believe in you, brother, black man. I was so happy when I got to y'all. I saw me. I was like, who is this? <laughs> Fine, man. Don't cuss me out to your wife. Who is a <laughs> professor? At Yale. I mean, I was so inspired. I was a resident. I was so happy. You were an assistant professor existing in that space. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. So I think that anyway, it's just so important. I'm so happy because it's like we have to survive because sometimes we don't even realize who is watching us, who we are impacting by just modeling that. And so I'm so grateful, like, I truly, I really mean this. And I have to tell Sydney because I don't know if I already told him, like I reached out to him years ago when I was trying to do my K for the Black Church Project to have, and I don't want to get emotional, but I was like trying to figure this out because so many people kept saying, you can't do this. You cannot provide addiction treatment. Mm-hmm. I have reached out to a PO and the NIH and they just told me like, you can't do it. You know, and so I was just on the strength of reaching out to him, reading his papers in the space. I'm like, he modeled it in depression and like he was so helpful. He was not only was he like, absolutely, you can do this, but he's like, what do you need? You need my grant. You need this. You need that. It wasn't not like, who are you? He didn't know me. I was nobody like now I got a little piece of the pie. But back then. <laughs> got a big piece of the pie. It's so important. So it, for me, it comes full circle because it's like, we have to, we don't have to, but I feel, I'll speak from a place that I, I feel a collective responsibility sometimes to be there for investigators, especially who are black. And in order to do that, I am seeing more and more. I have to protect my peace. Mm -hmm. I have to have boundaries around me. I have to have team members, white people included, that are going to understand the importance of the work, 
that I'm going to have to model sometimes empathy, how to build that empathy. Mm-hmm. And in order to be whole, I need to take care of myself. Yeah. So that's why I have, I go on good vacations and I treat yeah. myself well. And when I that's live so in a Harlem, my apartment is fly. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I have to protect my peace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So well said. I mean, so yeah. many important pieces there too. And like yeah. you said, I mean, the representation matters. Even as you're trying to get, as you were trying to get into the work and get into the space. I mean, I actually wanted to lean into that a little bit too, because as you talked about, even the way you said you don't talk about lab meeting in different settings, because that stigma still is there, especially when we think about in our churches. So, you know, for listeners, how did you all actually create that space? Because in a sense, you're leading by example, but you also bring all that institutional background with you for good or for bad. And so how do you build that trust to even have this kind of integrated mental health investment in faith communities to even get that going? Because there's so many, not to be, there's so many areas where I feel like that could get easily derailed, but you've mm-hmm. both done that with excellence. So you, I'm just, if you can share that, you know, with our listeners as well. Sure. I'll go. And then, because I, and then I, I think what Ayana did is a hundred times more difficult than what I did just because of, because in, in the black church, at least growing up in the South, there was more stigma, I think, around substance use than around like depression. And so that's why I say what you did, uh, I I think was in many respects more challenging because of that. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of came into this work, you know, I, I, I grew up in the church. You know, my dad's a deacon at Shiloh Baptist Church, New Site. My mama played the piano for, for the little kids choir that we sang in. So I was at choir rehearsal on, on Thursdays and in service on Sundays. Um, vacation Bible school during the summer. Some of my best friends uh, are from the church, my college roommate, just my brother who went to Hampton. Um <laughs> Okay. That's right. So, um, and then, so church provided a a big part of, of just community. It grounded me in my blackness and it, you know, provided the foundation of my, of my spiritual life. And so, um, I remember coming up to New York in 2009 for a research fellowship and knew that I wanted to do something to, to help our people. And I gave a talk at Greater Allen AME Cathedral in Queens about stigma and mental health. And it was really well received. And that kind of developed a a partnership with the health ministry leader. And we got a a small grant, a NARSAD Young Investigator Award. And that was kind of my entree into this space. Um, And so I think that it really took just you know, we're, we're, we're a communal people, right? So it just took being present. It took being vulnerable. It took, um, people had to know that this was like my ministry and not just my job, Mm. you know? And I think to Ayana's point about political warfare, I completely agree with that. Um, and we really frame this as an issue of social justice, um, and spiritual warfare. And I think that resonated with folks. Wow. Wow. Um, so that's kind of how we, you know, started, we did focus groups with pastors 
Then we did depression screening surveys um, with the PHQ-9. Then we created this community health working training program, recruiting folks from black churches. Um, and that led to, you know, our current, you know, some of our current grants now. So it was really one church at a time, building those relationships, going to ministry meetings, um, doing a lot of presentations, making a lot of referrals for people. Cause I think folks had to know that you're there for more than just a grant or a paper because folks are tired of the helicopter research, right? They tired of folks coming in, doing something and then leaving and not giving anything back. Yeah. I think that it really took that, that trust and being able to call out institutionalized racism, mm. calling out psychiatric misdiagnosis among black men, calling out, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, over-criminalization of, of black folks during the, the cocaine epidemic. And then, you know, with opioids, so being able to talk about all of those social, cultural, and historical issues, um, I, I think was critical. Yeah. I mean, just, just hearing you speak, I mean, it sounds like you just brought your whole self into yes. those situations. You're honest, mm -hmm. you're real about the institutional challenges, you're honest about the need, you you are building the trust. So, I mean, I would just get the sense that people people knew where you were coming from, they knew it was a place of sincerity, it was a place where you're trying to to help. And I imagine, you know, there probably still was some hesitation in some places, but I'm just, it sounds like you just, you worked through that and you addressed the big issues that had to be addressed as well. Yeah. And I think the key thing is, and Ayana does this too, is that just the community-based participatory approach, right? Just having folks from the community leading mm. community, elevating community voices mm -hmm. um, and, and trusting them that they know the answers and the solutions and just yeah. trusting the process That's and being a vessel to bring their vision to light. So I, I think that was just critical. Yeah, that was absolutely critical. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. And I, I hope that resonates with the listeners too, just because people who are trying to wrestle with the best way to kind of approach these things, just as you mentioned, to elevate the voices. Right. Yeah. And I think I, I, you know, I, I appreciate the kind of arc that Sydney presented, but I also want to just not allow him to minimize kind of the impact in the, of the space, right? Because it's really thinking about like Jay-Z and the blueprint. First of all, I love hip hop. So I'm always going to think about how to bring in hip hop. Shout out to Kendrick Lamar's album. It's so good right now. But anyway, thinking about the blueprint, because Sydney had already, for me anyway, published in this area, when I had so many naysayers, honestly, both from academia, right? NIH. But, and also people in the church, black people, they were like, you can't, we ain't talking about, one pastor was like, I don't got no addicts in my church. What you trying to say? I got addicts in my church. And I was like, first of all, I don't use that language, but okay. <laughs> but also I'm like, just showing the stats. I'm like, people who misuse substances are everywhere. Yeah. And I'm not saying that this is just you mm -hmm. or a reflection of you pastoring or not, but I'm just, anyway. <laughs> but having to come in with actual data to say mm -hmm. like, look, here is a black man who worked with black men <laughs> in the church and, you know, really 
was able to address some of the things that may not be as heavily stigmatized as having a substance use disorder, but ain't nobody talking about depression. Like that really just came within the last decade, really heavy in the last five years. So Sydney was doing this work before then, right? So having that like blueprint truly to be able to say like, look, somebody has already done it in this behavioral health phase, space, we can use a lot of the work to already show what is the most important, being able to partner with community to get buy-in. Similarly, I was very comfortable in the church because I was raised in a Black Baptist church. So I knew how to first give it all (laughs) glory to God. You know what I mean? (laughs) You know, so I, it, it was just like, that is who I am. They saw this is important, but I'm not just here to, you know, advance in my career and say deuces. Like I literally joined Varick even before the pastor who is here now, pastor still, like, anyway, I was there, right? Mm -hmm. When we were looking for Latinx churches to think about how do we provide telehealth medication for addiction treatment? I like went out to the church, figuring out, like, I know I can't be the vessel. I need to really work with my Latinx brothers and sisters who are actively using drugs and say, can you help me figure out like, what are the churches that are cool that you feel safe with? Because every, every church ain't a church that the pastor's going to be okay with having addicts. I would never say that, but you know, that's what Mm -hmm. people say, come into the church for care. So really elevating those voices in the community and they showing me and putting, can we talk about this? Okay. Me, these institutions don't want to pay community partners. And so my thing is, how can I use my now? I do have a little bit of power to say to a place like NYU or say to a place to yell, you got to pay people and not pay them for no community advisory board, pay them so they can pay their bills. That's right. Because what Sydney was saying, now we're thinking about social justice. It's not just the tool of accessing, in my case, substance use treatment in the church, which has been revolutionary. And I'm super excited because we're showing that people are showing up in the churches more than they are traditional addiction clinics. And that's just facts. But also saying that for people who are working as community investigators, I really think about them as co-eyes on the project. How did then do we set up a blueprint again for economic security? Yeah. So that you're not just worried about getting $500 for a community advisory board, but this is a role you have expertise. You can put it on your CV trainings you can get so that you can advance your own career so that you can really support your family. Right. So now when people are thinking, how do they work with the Jordan Wellness Collaborative for community programs and faith based settings? I'm like, how can I hire you Mm -hmm. through the institution so you can have benefits? Yep. Yep. That's real. That's real. Right. And so that's the conversation I'm having now. Mm. And um, it's awesome. It's awesome. And I think part of it is because I say, like, I can't sing. The Lord knew that if he gave me a singing voice, I'd be out of control. Shout out to my sister who has the most amazing voice. Aisha, I love you. And what are my talents? Really, I'm really starting to see as I get older that my talent is bringing people along and shepherding people to understand that this work 
partnering with faith-based communities and other kind of community organizations can be a way for restorative healing. Mm. That's transformative. I mean, everything you just mentioned too, all the way across right? the board. Yeah. And both of you, I mean, just partnering and elevating the voices, making sure that people's needs are being met. I mean, I think that's just not the way things have been thought about. Yeah. And, and what Ayana is talking about ultimately is, is, you know, transforming generations, right? Mm. I mean, when you're, when you're getting folks jobs at, at our academic medical centers and getting them benefits, often that comes with educational benefits, right? You can take a class, you can do this, your kids can, can have access or do access to, to, to school. So, I mean, this is, this is generational change what Ayana is talking about. And I, I think that is the, the great next frontier is not how can we just elevate the voices of our community members, but how can we empower them, employ them, and then deploy them mm. and you know, disseminate folks out, you know, nationwide. So this is, this is critical. Mm. Okay, wait a minute. I heard a serious <laughs> word now. Because the listeners I like that cannot too. see. Listen, the listeners cannot see because I always will have a message and a saying or something. Now, I, and I will give you credit. I'm not going to be a colonizer and just take it from my own. But Sydney came with a serious word now. He said, empower, how do we empower people? <laughs> Employ them and then deploy them. That's awesome. <laughs> I never even, and I'm going to 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 take it with your permission, Sydney, because sure, sure. I love that. Yeah, yeah. Right. To that really... needs to be our motto in New York City. Seriously, mm-hmm. Ayana, I'm so excited to to work with you. We are doing it, Sydney. We're gonna do the thing. You know, yeah. we are gonna do the yeah. thing. So I already want to work with them, the Hope Center at FCBC, oh, and they're gonna be right around the corner from you. It, so Hello? I was like, let me reach out to Cindy because I see he's already up in this thing. So For I need sure. an entry cut. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so we are actually going to be starting um, psychiatry residents are going to be there mm-hmm. for a year oh, starting nice. this fall from Sinai. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe you say a little bit about the Hope Center for people who don't know. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yep. So the Hope Center is a um, freestanding mental health clinic that was birthed out of the vision of Michael Walren, Pastor Walren from First Corinthian Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been open since 2016. Um, it provides 10 sessions of free evidence-based counseling. So the providers there provide, you know, trauma-focused CBT, interpersonal psychotherapy, um, you know, problem-solving therapy, um, and then they can connect people to longer-term treatment who need it. But it's it's much more than just, you know, providing direct care. They also have, like, wellness fairs. They provide space spaces for, um, for yoga, um, for Reiki, for all different types of healing circles. So they tap into, you know, the breadth of the diaspora and all that we provide in terms of healing. Um, And I just really want to shout out Pastor Walren. He is a brother who is just tremendously transparent about his mental health journey and the fact that he sees a pastor. And I want to shout out Dr. Lena Green, who is the executive director of the Hope Center. 
Um, she is amazing at program design and implementation. So Ayana, you were, you were there. Yeah. You were there. Thank so, you. Because it, it's just, it's so, it's just so exciting. I really think yeah. it's God's plan for mm. now Sydney and I to both be in the city, both yep. be in places yeah. where we're yep. able to elevate this faith-based work because yeah. I found out about FCBC because a good girlfriend of mine who mm. lives in Harlem was like, Ayana, don't you do faith-based stuff? She's a uh, adolescent medicine doc and she oh, goes wow. to church there. Awesome. Awesome. And she sent me their information and I'm like, this is awesome. Yeah. And I couldn't believe it. And then I found out that Sydney was involved. I'm like, done and done. Yeah. I didn't even know about the psychiatry residence because I'm thinking, mm. can we provide access to Matt because they're right in Harlem in a place that doesn't have doesn't easily have accessible mm. medication for addiction treatment when we know mm. Black people especially, right, mm -hmm. have mm -hmm. extreme rates of accidental overdose yes. from this crisis and we're being yeah. totally left behind. Mm. So anyway, I was like, can we expand to have FCBC be one of the sites where we provide telehealth Matt for free. I would love for us to do that. Absolutely. So we I will definitely okay. connect you to Dr. Green. Absolutely. Making connections wow. on the Addy okay. Hour. You didn't even know you were bringing us together. See? You almost had me amening while you were all talking about the deployment too. And I mean, yeah, definitely Pastor Waller and Dr. Green for listeners. If you haven't, yeah. check out episode five because both of them were on that episode talking about the Hope Center. Oh. Yeah. All the work that they've done, like you mentioned, Pastor Mike is just so transparent about his story and his journey with yeah. mental health and how that's facilitated so many different things in yeah. the congregation, in the community. So, wow, this is this is full circle. And I love yeah. I love making these connections. Now, you, now you're going to get me uh, sharing stories, too. So another episode, <laughs> episode four with Dr. Alfie Breland Noble oh, and Doug Middleton, who is an NFL player. That was the first time they met. They had a great episode. They just met in person for the first time at an event, a suicide prevention event. So it's wow. just, you know, seeing that was another full circle moment, you know, just being able to introduce the two of them, the work that they're doing in the same space and just how much respect they have for each other. And I mean, for me, it's just, I'm getting off, off topic here, but it's encouraging to see the way that people have been able to come together on this podcast. I mean, you know, we're 30 episodes in, that's something like 60 different guests and people working in different spaces they're doing so much important work and, you know, being in academic spaces, it's so easy for us to be in silos. Yeah. We do that really well. So as much as we can connect people, keep these conversations, even the ways that you all did that organically, and I would say divinely orchestrated and the ways that you all started, I think is such an important example um, for all of us. And I know I'm getting, even getting back to that, you know, deployment aspect as people are going out into the community or in the community, coming into these university settings, going back out to the, into the community. And as much as we can continue to foster all of that engagement and communication, I think it's just, it's critical. I don't even know how to put it all into words, but I'm just kind of yeah, riding no, along with yeah. the vision that you all are casting, if I can, if I can use that word. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you said it just brilliantly. And I think, you know, in thinking about what it what is next, right? And I and I think that not I think I know that Sydney has already put it out there with this empower, employ, and deploy, because I think what really is next is really thinking about how to 
not only just elevate community voices, but put them in positions where they're able to to live, right? Yeah. To eat. Yeah. As the kids say, I don't know if the kids say that anymore, to eat, to live, to take care of themselves. I'm mm-hmm. so old now. I mean, I think I'm cool, but then <laughs> my my nephew, who he's turning 12 at the end of shout out to little Lawrence. I love him. Anyway, I said something. I don't know. I used some slang. I was like, oh, this is so dope or something like that. He was like, can you please not say that? <laughs> like, Don't try. <laughs> like, don't try. You're not cool. But the point is, is really thinking about how do we um, go and underscore what Cindy is saying, really think about generations and legacy, mm-hmm. right? That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. And allowing people to... Um, have a way towards advancing themselves through this work. And I, it's just restorative. And so I, I'm just so grateful for you, Addie, in this, in this podcast, because I think that you are bringing people together, like you said, breaking down those silos so that we're able to move in a way that um, allows us to, to do this research differently. Yeah. 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 We weren't taught he, this. They weren't teaching about this, yeah. you know, in my PhD program or in medical school. Not at all. Yep. You all are leading the way, and I hope that others are going to be able to um, continue to walk with you as you all are, are elevating voices and bringing leaders. I mean, it's the next generation of leaders in a lot of ways, too. So I know our time is coming to a close. That was way too fast. But this, I mean, this was a restorative conversation to steal that word from you, Ayala. Right. Just... Again, I mean, I know about the work that you're all doing, but to hear you talk about the journey into the work and then just the, the encouragement and the vision of things going forward, it's just, to me, it's so important. And in the midst of everything we're continuing to experience, I mean, you all are uh, you are out doing the work and it's so important and so needed. So I'm grateful to both of you. I hope that the listeners will you know, get a chance to even re-listen to this, think about all the different aspects of wisdom that you, the knowledge that you all have dropped and just how important it is. So Greatly appreciate both of you. Thank you for taking the time to be here, especially with everything that you all do with your schedules and with how intentional you are about taking time to rest too. I don't take that for granted that you made the space to be here. So definitely appreciate you both. Love, love, love. Thank you, Nee. Of course.